listening to the Autistic Tea Party Podcast. I'm Malia. And I'm Kat. And together, we will be your hosts as we explore some of the hottest topics in the autistic and neurodivergent communities at large. We'll be speaking with parents, therapists, experts, educators, and more to dig into the more nuanced discussions being had in and about the disabled community. So join us as we sip and spill the tea. This is the Autistic Tea Party Podcast. hard at work to bring you some of our greatest content yet. Join us this summer for 12 weeks of free and brilliant webinars every Wednesday starting June 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. When I tell you that you're not going to want to miss a single talk, I'm not saying that lightly. We've got therapists, educators, parenting experts, and more. So head to allteach.com now to see the lineup and get your tickets to the event. Hello, everyone. Today we have Kimberly Kizitzo, known as the IEP strategist on TikTok, to talk with us today all about IEPs. Um, We're so excited for this episode. Everybody always has questions about IEPs every single day with kids of very varying ages. So, Kim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, um, the IEP strategist is just a title I came up with because um, advocate just sounded boring. But (laughs) I have been a parent advocate for over 13 years. Um, I have two kids and my 15 year old is autistic and also has ADHD generalized anxiety disorder, probably would have a few other letters, but we decided to stop there. Um, And then I have an eight-year-old that has ADHD. um, And I became an advocate after working in insurance for, you know, ironically for so many years and um, having an autistic daughter and kind of not feeling like I understood the process. And really wasn't feeling like I was an equal part of the IEP team. And Mm. so I would ask questions and they would say, well, we don't have this or have that. And, you know, you you, you get that motherly instinct. (laughs) So I became, I I started working for a, I kind of was doing things on my own. And then I actually had to use an advocate when my daughter went from kindergarten to first grade. And I thought it was a nonprofit. And so I didn't have to pay for it. And I thought she was a volunteer. And I was like, this seems really cool. I want to do this. Can I be a volunteer? And she just laughed at me. She's like, well, first of all, I get paid. Second of all, (laughs) this is a really, you know, this is this job kind of requires some research and some training. I was like, oh, okay. You know, but she kind of stayed around and she ended up hiring me. Um, later. And then uh, this was in South Carolina and we moved and I wasn't sure if I was going to continue to do it. And I continued. And ironically, um, COVID kind of helped me branch out. So I was doing local IEPs where I would sit in the meetings in person and then COVID happened and we all of a sudden could do everything online. Mm -hmm. And so I have been handling IEPs and I, I need one of those maps where you like scratch off the states. I couldn't tell you how many states that I've, I've done now, but I'm in North Carolina and I've actually only done like three in North Carolina this year. The majority of them are actually West Coast, um, mm. more California, Texas. Well, Texas is not West Coast, but I handle them all over the United States. And so 
um, using TikTok. This old lady here that decided I was going to make some videos on TikTok has really <laughs> branched out and really provided me a platform to do as much as I can to help others. And Robin was the one that started it um, with her. I thought TikTok was animals talking to each other and little things that I, I would watch it with my kid, my six year old, she's now eight, but she was like, you know, you can, you could, there's like sides to TikTok and I'm, I'm a 52 year old woman, you know, I'm not, I'm looking at these things like, like Snapchat and all those things where I was like, mm -hmm. okay, that's for the kids. And so I'd watch it with my six year old waiting for the bus and we'd watch little dances and little dogs talking to each other and stuff like that. And then somebody posted um, one of our teachers TikToks. And that's, I said, oh, there's adults on here. Oh, maybe I should start talking about IEPs. And that was January and 20 some thousand followers later. Um, I've got, you know, lots of people that I've been able to help. So that's amazing. And so, 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 so necessary because <laughs> I mean, as you know, especially be, you know, being an advocate and being in the trenches of this stuff, the IEPs are just so incredibly difficult to navigate, especially for parents who just, you know, like, let's say, you know, you just find out that your child has a disability and they're going into kindergarten and yeah. you've never heard any of this stuff before. And uh, at the risk of sounding a little uh, pessimistic or, you know, negative about this, schools will, schools love to play down what you can and cannot have access to. I mean, it's realistic, you know, because like yeah. at the end of the day, the less money they can spend per student, um, they're going to. And so mm -hmm. a lot of parents end up getting railroaded and steamrolled in these meetings where the power dynamics are nuts because you've got, you know, the school, like the SLP, the OT, the, um, you know, the like 20 whatever. people in the room and you it, 20 people in the room and you, and then right. they're all talking at you. And it's, it's incredibly mm -hmm. overwhelming. So like, this is such like, this is going to be, and it's such an important topic to talk about to help empower parents. And I think that your account is just incredible for that. And like, it's such a light yeah. and it's like so necessary in the community because um, so many people would feel so alone without people like you yeah. out there letting them know that they actually do have power in these situations. Mm -hmm. It's very frustrating too. And then, I mean, it, um, the process and it, it's all, it's not unlike anything else, you know, I don't, I don't know um, if I have a, I am an adult with ADHD, and so I have a unique ability, which is not mm -hmm. really all that unique, to hyper-focus on things <laughs> and yes. have special interests. And IEPs just happens to be a special interest, and so I've kind of made a career out of it. But it, it, it comes very easy to me. And so because it comes so when we have certain things that we consider a gift or um, Superpower is not the thing, the the word of yeah. the day. I can't stand. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But it's like, it's not a we'll superpower. Have a whole episode for that. It's just something I like doing, like intricate rules. I'm a rule follower. Mm -hmm. I do mm -hmm. stuff like that. But um, you don't recognize that what comes easy for you doesn't always come easy for someone else. And so mm -hmm. there's times where I find myself saying, Malia, you are you know, you're so good at writing these articles and so on and so forth. And you're just like, 
anybody can do this. And then you realize, no, everybody can't, you know, <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. look, honey, that's your gift. So be thankful for it and then go out and, and do good in the world. And so when people say that they're hard to navigate and everything, I, I've had to step back and say, they're not hard to navigate because they really are. If you think about it yeah. as a parent, and I think back to when my daughter was diagnosed and going into the school system and what I thought of the school system, you know, it's like, oh, school's going to be great and everybody's there to help. And, you know, I've taught mm-hmm. and my mother's a retired teacher and things are different a little bit nowadays. And um, then you realize that maybe you're not, you don't necessarily trust everybody all of a sudden and right. school maybe not what it's supposed to be. And you already have a child that is struggling in any one of these areas or all of the areas, academic, social, emotional, behavioral, and you're dealing with that. And then on top of that, you feel like you've got to take on the school too. It's, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. Right. Right. Definitely. I, so like, you know, absorbing all of your content, which I love. Oh my gosh, get your homework or you had to sit there and read (laughs) Well, I've been following you for a while, so. Oh, awesome. Okay. But so I was absorbing a lot of your newer content um, as opposed to when I first started following you. Um, But often, like, the conversation is heavily, from what I see, for, like, the younger kids. Um, Right. You know, like, especially, um, you know, like, four to maybe eight-year-olds, it seems Mm -hmm. like. You know, cause, and maybe that's because like parents are so new, you know, it's still very new those first couple years of right. elementary school. Um, does it change? Does the process change as the kids go, you know, grow into junior high and high school and, you know, and then even in college when kids are, you know, not kids anymore and they're usually on their own, um, more than they were before like how does it does the process change or or does do the iep is it a little bit easier because they already have a plan in place and it just needs tweaking as the years go by if things are going the way they're supposed to go and i'm not hired you know (laughs) the process would be that your child ideally would be receive their iep earlier um I do like to kind of say to parents that, you know, yes, early intervention is great, but that doesn't mean that we can't still help a kid. You know, the kid may be, may be suspicion of autism or something at three, but not get a diagnosis until 10. And it's like, oh, it's too late. It's not too late. OK, so that's one thing to dispel. But um If things are going well, yes, your child will have an IEP. We will build in structures and goals and the IEP simply being something that is designed to help plan out that child's education, individualized to that child's um, needs. And by the time they get older to middle school, then it should need some tweaking. And then to high school, a few tweaks here and there to adjust. A lot of the big adjustment is middle um, elementary to middle, typically. And uh, because you're going from one teacher, you know, one or a couple or a couple teachers mm-hmm. in elementary school that see you all day to like six that only see you at the same time for like, you know, 60, 70 minutes a day. And 
there's some tweaking that takes place and, and then the puberty, you know, so puberty definitely, yeah. definitely the kids changing. So, you know, um, and sometimes puberty can wreak havoc or hormones can wreak havoc on any kid, much less um, the autistic kid that may be having some some awareness of who they are and, and how to process that. So, mm -hmm. and then by the time they get to high school, you know, um, depending on what it is that they want to do, it starts getting real. And you start realizing, okay, here is someone that is, uh, voices already changed, they're moving into adulthood. What is What are they gonna do after school? If this is a child that is gonna go to college, if this is a child that's gonna go to work, we still have a responsibility as, um, people who are uh, local education agencies under the IDEA, which is the Individuals with Disability Education Act, to provide a proper transition for those, and I'm still calling them kids, um, for those high schoolers once they graduate so that they will be able to move into college or into a career and hopefully have gotten as much uh, intervention in the school years as they could. But the process for an IEP is pretty much the same once the IEP is in place. So it's pretty much the same um, all the way through to the end of school. There's the biggest thing would be the transition age. And each state has their own age, which is typically around 13 or 14, where they have to switch from just talking about um, those academic, social, emotional, behavioral things to how are we what are we going to do to prepare this kid for after school after high school so it's more like as they get older it's more of the focus shifts to like life skills like those, well, big, those big life skills yeah and it, it also depends on the child too because we have mm -hmm. some kids that have higher support needs that mm -hmm. are life skills needs that happen right. that are needed immediately so you may have for instance a five-year-old that elopes and they're running out you know that that's a life skill <laughs> we don't want that we want that child to be able to uh we want to figure out what's going on with that child that's causing them to elope so often and uh deal with that as an appropriate life skill so that they can make it to <laughs> to first grade you know so but when you think about um you think of well i'll use my daughter as an example my daughter uh life skills um she's going into 10th grade and so when we think for her i am looking at things like how are you going to go we were at chipotle today and i said you're gonna go 10 steps ahead of me and you're going to order your food. And um, no, I said to her in her car and I said, hey, you know, one of these days I'm going to have you go in and get your own food. And she's like, oh, okay. And I was like, that day's today. You know, I just <laughs> silly mother that I am. She's looking at me like, you know, um, I can I can do that with my child. Not too many other people can do that. And so uh, that would be but but just watching her, it really made me think mm, this might be something um, her ability to be able to do things without me is definitely something that I want to include as we move forward in these next couple of years. So she's, she's pretty dependent on having me in the room. And those are, I mean, she knows how to do it. She could probably write down everything she would need to do, but the actual application of that is something that I'd want to make sure we include as some sort of goal or something in an IEP. So if a parent, let's say, um, so no, we were talking about, you know, older children and transitional periods and things like that. If we do go back to, you know, like, let's say a new parent who found out their child 
um, is autistic or has some sort of learning disability, um, what would your advice be for people um, to determine whether or not like the services available to their child are being maximized and that they're able to get as much um, resources as possible for their child? The thing I would say is by the time it's time to sit down at that initial IEP meeting, and mm -hmm. um, that's what they, they call it in the law, the initial IEP meeting, the parent, the child should have gone through a battery of, of tests, um, a full educational, emotional evaluation. They call it kind of educational evaluation. The term and the idea is assessment. So when I say evaluation, I'm saying um, does include observing the child child in the classroom environment. Mm -hmm. And so hope by the time you the parents get is pretty comprehensive. And so the first thing I would suggest for an initial IEP is that that parent make sure that they separate those two meetings. So I want one meeting for the school psychologist, speech therapist, everybody that provided um, the, their assessments and the assessments are based on the child's uh, suspected disability if we don't have an autism diagnosis or um, areas of need. And so there may not be a speech need or something like that, but everybody that, that participated, I want a separate meeting just to review the report because that's a lot. <laughs> Those are, yeah. and it should, yeah. a good assessment is gonna be a good, anywhere from five pages to five to 15 pages, depending on the amount mm -hmm. of testing that can be done. Some kids, and there are, you know, I want parents to know that if your child is nonverbal, preverbal, semi-verbal, there are tests that can be done. These school psych psychologists go to school to learn this stuff, you know, so they can give tests to these children. They can give tests to the parents. They can um, provide things for the parents to fill out. And so the, the age and the level of ability of the child really should not matter. And so yeah. you're going to have that meeting, which I like to set about aside 90 minutes. I want the parent to request that report at least four to five days in advance. Mm. Um, call your friend whose kid has already been through it. Uh, call your friendly neighborhood IEP strategist. That's me. Um, <laughs> to look over the information. And you, the first thing you want to do is make sure that all of your child, all of your suspicions as a parent. So say you do have an autism diagnosis, but there may be something else, or maybe you're thinking dyslexia or ADHD or something that the, the doctor didn't pick up or something that they don't necessarily look at because it doesn't, it's more of a school thing. And you brought all of these things up at the meeting. So there's a meeting that happens prior to this, this eligibility assessment testing. And at that meeting, hey, you know, Kim is really, really distracted. You know, Kim's got an autism diagnosis and, uh, but she's really distracted. And I've noticed that, you know, when she's writing her letters, they are, uh, she, she's shaking her hand out and all of these things that, that are, that should be kind of triggers for a school psychologist to say, oh, shaking the hand, you know, that the, is her hand hurting? This might right. precipitate an occupational therapist to come in, or this right. might have somebody look at dysgraphia, which is a kind of a, not dyslexia, but kind of one of the things with writing. So mm -hmm. I want that, that, I want that report 
in my hand or in my parents' hand um, four to five days before the uh, actual meeting. And then I want that meeting where we're going to sit down and we're going to go over this report. And I want those parents to be able to sit there until they have a full understanding of everything. And the law requires that. And what I see parents doing is they're afraid to ask questions or they feel like, oh, I don't know, I don't understand this or whatever. And everybody does that. It's one of those after you leave the room things I wish I should have asked. You know, I used to bring my husband to the IEP meetings and he would start asking me questions in the car. And I'm like. Really? Because you were quiet the entire <laughs> Where was entire... this 30 yeah, minutes yeah. Now he can't come. He's not allowed to come out. Unless, unless I'm mad. And then he, he kind of centers me if I'm mad. But, but for the most part, I want those two meetings separate. And then once the parent has had a chance to digest, this is what this test is. Because all of these tests have different scoring. So some are scored by T-scores. Some are scored by standardized scores. Some are raw scores. Who knows what the, that means, you know? Yeah. Um, the expectation sometimes because everybody's so overworked and everything is for the parent to understand that 80 on this test does not necessarily mean a good thing. Whereas 80 on this test is a good thing. So I want all of that separate from the IEP. And Mm -hmm. by the time, and usually at the end of the psychosocial educational evaluation, there are recommendations. And that Mm -hmm. is where I I want you sitting out there. I tell parents all the time, get your drink of choice. For me, it's a Starbucks. Or if it's Mm -hmm. after a certain hour, it might be something something else. Um, And sit down with your little highlighter. Malia's got water. I don't know what's in there, Malia. (laughs) I don't know what else is in there. What time is it out there in in order? Um, (laughs) But, you know, you got that. You got your highlighter and you're going through it and you are highlighting and you have questions and you're not worried about who is going to be irritated with your questions because, number one, this is your kid. Number two, this person, these people that have done the assessment are probably not going to see your kid for another three years. The school psychologist, and he's probably not going to see him for another three years when it's time yeah. to do a reevaluation. And mm-hmm. these kids are not going to see you for, you know, they're not going, these uh, providers are not going to see you, your kid, once they become an adult. So I want a full understanding. Mm-hmm. And if they did not cover, if I talked about, um, that my child has a reading issue, say they're not kindergarten, maybe they're three or uh, third grade or whatever, and they have a reading issue. And I've read the entire report. I'm like, you know, they didn't cover, they didn't do any sort of reading test or there's nothing here that, that covers that. Then we need to go back when we have that meeting and we need to have a request for, um, it's, it, that's a whole nother thing, but an independent evaluation that says you didn't cover something. Yeah. So that is one, that is all before the IEP. <laughs> <laughs> by the time, so by the time the IEP meeting comes, boom, we have gotten. I have, I have sat through that. I've cried through it sometimes because you yeah. think about, if you think about that initial IEP, it's like everything my kid can't do, you know. And that that reading that mm-hmm. evaluation is yeah. hard. It is very hard because it is a list of everything your kid can't do, or that's what you feel like as a parent anyway. And um, I tell parents to push through that part because this is all about getting your child some help. And then when we get to the actual IEP meeting, there are the IEP is set up. So we have we are using the information that we have from the evaluation to determine the goals of the child. Right. So as a parent, I don't expect a parent to sit out and write out goals. 
Okay, you shouldn't have to, um, at least not for the first one. Now, sometimes I work with parents. I'm like, we're going to sit here. We're going to write goals. What time can I call you? <laughs> but <clears throat> we are looking at goals in terms of measuring them as SMART goals, <clears throat> excuse me, where it's an acronym for specific, measurable, attainable, relevant <laughs> and time bound. And yeah. so if the report has shown that um, Kimberly is currently reading two grade levels below her grade. And we've identified that the reason for that is a decoding issue. So reading is broken down into decoding and comprehension. Um, she can understand everything that's read to her, but she can't, you know, form the look at the page. And I'm looking at this like you guys can see me, but <laughs> she's looking at the page and she can't read. She can't pronounce it, you know. So we're going to, I want a goal as a parent. I'm going to say, okay, I would like for her to be able to um, start working on that skill. Okay. She should be able to read at grade level, but also as a parent, and this is where I see, sometimes I see things on the school end that's wrong. I know my kids, so I don't care who's got masters and doctorates and all in the room. They don't know my kid better than I know my kid. And they don't know my kid's autism better than I know my kid's autism. I don't care how many kids you see. Oh, I, I know autism. No, you don't. You don't know my kid. <laughs> Let me introduce her to you. She interrupts podcasts. Um, but <laughs> I, I want, so I want to be able to, as a mom, can my child realistically <laughs> attain grade level reading in the year? So an IEP year is 12 months, <laughs> not a school year. Okay, so it's 12 months. So from say my IEP is from April 1st of 2021 to April 1st of 2022. So within this 12 months, will she be able to get to um, the, the proper grade level? As a parent, maybe not. I don't know. We've got to work on some other issues. She's too distracted. All of those things. So these are, you know, and I want the parents to be able to prioritize based on what that evaluation has shown. And so as an example, um, a lot of our kids, our artistic kids have ADHD. Sometimes we have to tackle the behavior and the attention before we can even look at getting the child to read on grade level. Now, it doesn't say that we have to do one thing first um, and spend an entire year working on attention and all that. We can do it at the same time, but the expectation is going to be higher for me as an advocate for my, my client's child to be taught the skills to be able to sit and attend and, um, and however they're going to be able to get those things without having the goal for reading be at the same level. So I may say uh, Kimberly needs uh, has to have some sort of training in sitting for short periods of time. So this is a kid that the baseline is that this kid doesn't want to sit down at all. <laughs> so we're going to sit for short periods of time, short periods of time. I want to break that down. I want parents to say, how is this goal going to be achieved? Oh, okay. Well, Kimberly's going to sit for five minutes uh, as measured, you've read goals before, as measured um, by teacher observation, 75% of the time, blah, blah, blah. So I, as a parent, I don't care if I look stupid. 
I don't care if I look stupid, but I would ask. I always ask. So how are you going to achieve that goal? Oh, well, we're going to, based on how they answer it, if they're answering it with some level of expertise, then I feel comfortable. But if they're just pulling things out of the sky, then it's going to be a long meeting because I really want to know that a lot of times we will write a beautiful IEP that has zero uh, chance of being executed properly. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was going to say that that sounds like the difference between you know, if someone's pulling stuff out of the sky, if the people in the meeting are doing that, having someone there to advocate with you and be like, oh, no. Right. And that's the thing. Because if you can't, parents, like, I, I charge for my services. It, it, and, you know, and I, I think, I believe I have a lot of West Coast folks because I only charge, like, you know, 300 bucks and their people charge, like, three times that. So they're like, oh, she's cheap. We're going <laughs> to. But, um, but if you can't afford an advocate, your girlfriend, or whoever you know that can sit there and listen, I just need somebody to sit here next to me right. while I'm tearing up because I just looked on a screen and they they showed that uh, Tyler is 30% and everybody else is at 85% or whatever. And I'm all stressed out about that. I need you to be sitting there, you know, paying attention. Right. And right. if you have questions about stuff that doesn't make sense, that kind of stuff. I need you, friend, to sit there. Just bring that friend, somebody else that can mm -hmm. be there with you to, to suss out all of the stuff and to be able to have a kind of a, um, a, an ear, a listening ear. Yeah. Yeah. A second set of ears is like super helpful in most cases anyways, medical appointments, things like that, but incredibly important in like IEP meetings and stuff where it's going to be legally binding. Parents after just by themselves all the time. And it just, I'm yeah. like, right, yeah. bring, your, bring your girlfriend, bring your... <laughs> So and bad. for people that like, so that was the question that I did have. So for people who don't have support networks like that, let's say someone really just doesn't have uh, a person that they can bring along with them. And let's say they go to this meeting and they leave there feeling really unheard. And they leave there feeling like, because of like we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, they've got, you know, 20 people, then you sitting there and, and they're listing off, you know, pretty much all the deficits your child has. And you're just sort of like aghast because you know, your child and you're like, well, yes, right. those things are true, but also there's this whole person, you know, um, what is the, is there recourse for, let's say you finish that IEP meeting, you leave there feeling really awful. Mm -hmm. And you say, I didn't get a chance to say X, Y, Z. I didn't necessarily agree with this goal. I don't think that this assessment of my child is, is true, given what I know about them at home. Um, what is the path forward if you feel like you've left an IEP meeting um, and you felt like you weren't heard and that your child is not being served and that you do still have questions and that you don't agree with some of the goals? What do they do? What does a parent do next? Well, this is something that I say at every IEP meetings and the schools, just uh, whoever in the, in the, that works at the school rolls their eyes. You can have an IEP meeting every week if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times yeah. the schools say, well, we do this once a year. And so the parent thinks they cannot, they have to wait a whole year. No. If you leave the IEP meeting, you're just like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Or I forgot something. That, that's me. Right. You know, gosh, we didn't even bring up, you know, last week's meltdown and they, we didn't even address that. Um you can call a meeting again. I'm not comfortable with this. And now I'm going to bring my friend and or now I'm going to bring my advocate or whatever. And I want to re uh, look at this again, 
this, you know, I feel like that goal isn't specific enough or um, we completely missed the goal. Call a meeting again. Um, and most states, not all states, but most states have specific guidelines for what happens when a parent requests an IEP meeting. So in California, if I'm a parent, I, request, I have a child on an IEP and I request an IEP meeting, we have 15 days to respond with an IEP meeting. Mm. And they, you know, a lot of times the schools will try to get around that and say, oh, okay, well, we can always adjust the IEP. We don't have to have a meeting. Well, I think we do. Yeah. Or, you know, if you don't think you do, um, I, I like to meet, I like to, I kind of like to set a precedent for <laughs> schools yeah. when I'm there as to how they're going to deal with things if they, you know, they tell me that I only have an hour for a meeting and I'm just like, I talk. So we're either going to have to choose another date or um, block off two hours because I want, especially if it's a first school or new school or something and they don't want to do that, then that's fine. We'll take an hour and I will, we will spend an entire hour talking about page one. <laughs> then we will have to, we have to reschedule. I'm not going to sign off on anything until we're done. And so that's another recourse that you have as a parent. You can, uh, at the very end of the IEP, they have something called a signature page. And so what they're doing now on Zoom um, is they have some some people Zoom have the I guess they have it set up so you can sign on the screen or they can accept your signature. And a lot of times the fine print on there sometimes says, oh, the entire team agree. You can right. sign it and then turn around and say, you know what, I, I disagree. Let's open it back up. It's not there's never a oh, sorry, Malia, it's too late. Haha, you signed your child away and now he's got to bring us pizza every day. You don't know. No. <laughs> so. Um, they, you can absolutely say, you know, let's look at this again. And I, I really want to revisit this issue and talk about it again. You know, conversely, there's like, so I've, I saw this like growing up several times with my sister and, and children that were in her class with her, where an emergency IEP meeting was called without the parents being able to be present. Well, where, that is not legal. And I believe that the um, the president was that they had sent notice or something like that. And it was an, IEP, an emergency IEP that was called to address a specific need. And because the parent did not respond in the X amount of time that they were able to proceed with the meeting because it was intervention based on this child. But it was actually used to uh, remove services uh, and to like essentially say like this child no longer needs this support or whatever. Um, is that something that is uh, like legal under like, you know, obviously dubious circumstances where it's like, you know, like, oh, you didn't respond because you missed the email and now your child doesn't get blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's something that schools do. Yeah. Can they? No. Um, <laughs> so the school, the school has to provide a, a documentation that they have tried to contact the parent over. You can't just be like, we sent off one email and we took one letter out of your name. So we don't think you got it. You know, they have to be able to um, have to show that they had a method of contacting you over several times before they have a meeting. And not only that, they can have the meeting, they can have the meeting all day long, but they still by law cannot just start removing services, changing placements. They can't do major things anyway, without doing an evaluation. So if they say, well, we're going to have this meeting and now that we're going to take this child off of an IEP, 
um, and it's not a legal thing. Like I was talking about the uh, developmental delay, for instance, is in um, in the idea is only a qualifiable diagnosis until age nine, and then they have to qualify under something else. But if it's just okay, this kid's autistic and we no longer think he needs services and we try to contact mom five times, we're just going to get rid of the IEP. They cannot do that. They still need the consent of the parent to evaluate the child. So there's all these little intricacies. Now schools, have they, they will try it. And if the parent does not know the, the law, um, then sometimes the schools can get away with kind of, you know, messing around and, and doing those things. But um, it, it brings to mind a client that I had whose uh, child was in this situation with a developmental disability, um, and she didn't understand. And she goes, they took my child's IEP away. And I'm like, well, they can't do that. They can't just take yeah. it away. You have to sign off. And any major change in an IEP, meaning uh, moving from a uh, least restrictive environment to a more restrictive environment or changing schools or taking away services or whatever requires a, an evaluation, an assessment, because yeah. they can't just you can't just go by the teacher's um, opinion. Oh, well, you right. know. We think that Kim is great, and now we're going to, or we hate Kim, and we're going to send her off to such a, you know, school for hate people or whatever, and, and that happens tomorrow, and sorry, Mrs. Kizito, you didn't come to the meeting, so we're just going to send her, she has to go tomorrow. No, that's the, the opinion of the school. Now we need a norm-referenced uh, testing that shows that Kim cannot learn in this environment and needs to go off to hate school or whatever. And in order to test Kim, Kim's mom has to sign a piece of paper to consent for that testing. So there's all of these things that happen that has to have to happen before they can make these major changes. So in your situation where they did, they only like may have sent, made a phone call or sent off one email or something like that, that's not enough. Right. And as the parent, the recourse would be to the, the schools have to hold these, have to have these records and the parent should be show me all of the times where you tried to contact me, how it happened and, you know, what email do you, did you use all of that? And if it's one time, then the parent can say, sorry, not happening. The parent has due process, which means they have an opportunity to uh, respond if they disagree. Is this process a little, does it get a little um, trickier to navigate provided, let's say we have a child whose parents are uh, not documented or there is some situation like that at home. Does Do you see problems come up with following through with these, like um, the legalities of all of this stuff? And does that lead to those communities being underserved because the recourse is harder to take provided that a school says, well, we're doing this. And then it's like, you know, this parent's like, well, that's wrong. Like, I, I don't agree with that. And then they go, okay, well, you know, then, then go find the resources, go find the lawyer, go find the, you know, do whatever. Is that something that you see uh, weaponizing? Can that be, is that something, um, does it get into like a much more difficult place and marginalized place for those? I mean, obviously it does, but yeah, I, I don't see it getting that far. Typically uh, the parent does not understand 
to get to the point where the school's like, okay, fine, get an attorney. Uh, typically the parent it just feels stuck. And right. then they call me in and I'm just like, they can't do this and they can't do that. And, you know, and um, we find out that the school is not being on the up and up. So, but there is an absolute uh, huge issue with um, mm -hmm. black and brown communities where the referral to special education is at alarming numbers. And, um, the it's interesting because the diagnostic procedures from on the medical side are uh, at lower numbers. So you see children that are not getting a proper autism or ADHD or other diagnosis in these communities on the medical side. And then on the school side, they are being referred to special education education because not necessarily because they have a disability, but because maybe their behaviors aren't acceptable to the people in the school. Right. And it just may be a cultural thing. Yeah. Do you, do you ever have encounter like just having to like explain a child's diagnosis to the team and that like they completely just like oh, yeah. miss I am, I and are trying to suggest deal. things that like are completely do not make sense for their situation. I mean, this is, I, I try to do an inventory at the end of each year, um, each school year. And I, there's, I've got like one or two IEP meetings left and then I think I'm done. I don't know. I, this has been an interesting year <laughs> handling all these different states. Cause there's like New York is still in this week and I've got an IEP next week. But um, I have spent a, a great deal of time this year explaining executive functioning and ADHD and autism to teens where um, these, uh, it, my kid that, that's uh, 15, she is a straight A student. She will get the highest grade in the class. This kid will also pick her nose in front of you. She's 15, you know, <laughs> these are things that, you know, that are not necessarily socially acceptable, you know, and um, there are kids that are like that, that are not getting assessed for IEPs. And there are kids that may just have ADHD or um, or have an autism diagnosis that, you know, um, the parents didn't pursue ADHD because they're, you know, so similar or whatever. And so the kids got massive executive functioning issues. They need to have everything in writing. They are not able to uh, plan a project from start to finish, those types of things. And so as a result, they end up getting uh, the IEP is only addressing the academic side that the child may need remediation in math or something like that. And they're not addressing behavioral, social, emotional, or they may have goals. Okay. Well, you know, the, my daughter's one of her goals was to raise her hand. And I'm like, well, how are you teaching her to raise her hand? You just going to tell her to raise her hand. I'm like, what do you, what do you, you know, there's a, this is not, she's not a neurotypical kid. So I can tell a neurotypical kid, Hey, raise your hand. I can probably tell them that five or six times. And then at some point they're going to raise their hand. But for an autistic kid or a kid with ADHD, you may have to actually do some actual teaching, modeling, uh, have a plan. And so when I'm sitting in these meetings and they want to either deny testing, uh, assessing for a child for an, a, or for an IEP. And a lot of times they're doing that because they don't know how to teach those executive skills. They don't, recognize that these things are not inherent and actually do require a curriculum um, and actual teaching. And so there are, I will go all the way into, I've gone into kind of, I go into a couple of different things. And one of my favorites is when you see a baby 
and the baby's old enough to, um, I don't know, crawl along the floor. And so they see your phone and they pick up the phone and they put it to their ear. A lot of babies do that, right? Your autistic kids don't always do that. They may pick up the thing off the floor and they're going to throw it. And so, or they do, you know, they're licking it or whatever. They don't necessarily recognize that that phone is something that they would put to their ear. Now, not all autistic kids are going to do that, but um, there are your, your baby that maybe doesn't have a diagnosis is doing that. How did they learn that? And so I'll just, I, and I do use silence IEP means a lot. How, the, how do you think the kid learned that? They didn't go to school for it. They're, they're six months. They're crawling on the floor. They pick the phone. Did you show them here, little Johnny? Why you're on the, no, because little Johnny's not going to pick up the phone. They watched you. You don't know when they watched you. You didn't watch them long enough to know that they, they watched you. And so those are skills that that child picked up inherently that maybe a kid with autism or ADHD is not able to pick up. And so how do you think those kids are going to learn the other inherent things that you think that every other kid, every kid that doesn't have a diagnosis is going to learn to stand in line after the first week of kindergarten, is going to learn to raise their hand, is going to learn to play and share, is going to do all of these things. Whereas a kid that's autistic, a kid that, that has ADHD, these are things that need to be taught. And so that kid is going to sit up there and be punished or you're going to put them in a more restrictive environment because you don't recognize that these skills that aren't academic, these are skills that just come from observing, need to actually be taught to people that can't necessarily observe because they have other things going on. Um, my kid's observing the fact that the light is blinking and nobody else knows. She's looking at the clock because she knows the bell's going to ring and she doesn't like the sound of the bell. All of these things are things that I will sit there and and talk to the people in the IEP room and they're just like, oh, <laughs> and hey, you can create these things. What seems like common sense, but you can create this curriculum. You guys went to school to do it. So let's get it done. So is that something, you know, when you when that is the case where the team just like really doesn't get it and you explain it to them, um, you know, how much of that do you do versus like, is there resources that the school then seeks out? Cause then it, you know, there's, if that is lacking, there's obviously training that the staff needs to have. Mm -hmm. And is that even accessible in some of these underserved areas? Well, one of the, one of the, Oh, gosh, I wish I had had the actual clause, but one of the parts of IDEA requires by law that a teacher that is dealing with a special needs child be HQT, highly qualified teacher. Highly qualified means this teacher has been trained in helping this child and working with their disability. Now, the disability of executive dysfunction, for instance, that is not considered a disability. It's not a diagnosis. It's not a, there's 13 categories of disability. I'm assuming that your listeners all know this stuff, but um, 13 categories of disabilities under the idea, but some of them affect. So ADHD and, and uh, autism uh, have come out in areas of executive functioning because of the prefrontal cortex, blah, blah, blah. I can go into lots of fun brain explanations here. But when I see that a, I know before going into the IEP meeting as an advocate, I don't go into an IEP meeting without knowing exactly what's going to happen. I can tell you from 
minute to minute what they're going to say what they because I've dealt with the parents. So if this I if these people are saying, well, you know, Kim has straight A's and we don't think she needs she'd be fine on a 504. She just needs extra time. I'll test Kim's over there, you know, at 10 years old, um, plugging her ears every time the bell rings and not able to write her homework down. But, you know, she'll be fine. No, (laughs) that tells me that they don't have any idea how to teach executive functioning. So before that meeting, I have done the research. I have, and I am, I'm, I'm a digger, you know, I, this is one of the things that I like to do. I have gone on, uh, there are school, uh, school board meetings to look at their budget, to see where, what contractors, what vendors are they using? Oh, you didn't know that this school over here. So if the school is in the district, so if there's a charter school, for instance, that's in the district and the district has, uh, contracted with Orton Gillingham um, and executive functioning partners or whatever, and they are servicing ABC Charter School over here. The district has paid for that, but everybody in the district can use it. So I'm like, oh, you guys didn't know this is this. And guess what? Guess what? ABC Charter School down the street has it, so you guys can get it too. And so a lot of times they will say, oh, okay. you know. So I will find the resources, and I think what parents do a lot of the time is and everybody. I mean, if you've worked in corporate America or, or you've worked under anybody in the last like 20 years or whatever, don't come to me with problems, come with solutions. It's like, don't just come in here complaining. That's what I do. I will go into a meeting and provide an answer for all of the, they cannot tell me that they don't have the resources because if they, if they have any general knowledge of idea, they know you can't say that. So you can't say we can't afford it. We don't have it. Um, the law requires that you do. Uh, Mills versus DC was the lawsuit that, uh, that shaped that, that said that schools can't just decide they're not going to educate because they don't have the resources. They are provided with money to provide those resources. So they don't say that to me in the IEP meeting, but I will give them resources and say, hey, this kid needs this. And I noticed that your school district has these three or four programs. And how can we get your teachers to get that training? So nine times out of 10, somebody's clued in in the vastness of the district to all types of education that can be provided. And there are tons of free resources as well. So there's times where I just don't want to hear it when it comes down to we can't do this, we can't do that. There's YouTube, there's all types of books, things that, you know, they, they, you went to school to become a teacher. And part of that is learning how to create a lesson plan. Um, Guess what? I can provide you with a book uh, on executive functioning for teenagers that you can read over the summer and create a lesson plan and teach it. I was going to kind of ask you about. So as much and I deeply, deeply, deeply admire and love and identify with your uh, because this was me in IEP meetings where I would go in there Mm -hmm. with my sister and people would say things and I'd be like, "Um, actually, I think. (laughs) not you know and then I'd pull out my file and I'd be like because xyz here's all this stuff I printed out I highlighted it for you like good luck with this because like I got yeah she's 26 so you weren't pulling up websites then you know no 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 I'm pulling up I printed that stuff I was like literally I have it highlighted for you there's no excuses um and I love that but let's say a parent is not necessarily like doesn't live for this stuff like some yeah, of us, like no, right, exactly. Right, right. Where I would do this for fun, anyways. Um, let's say there is a parent who is just sort of like, 
I don't even know where to begin to know what my rights are in this situation. Um, where would someone look? And I know this varies from state to state, uh, and you know, so that's it's where would someone begin to say, let's say somebody lives in Texas or somebody lives in Rhode Island or California or whatever. Is there a kind of across the board, like where on the state government website or something like that, can they find out what they are, um, what they are entitled to and what is legally um, they're supposed to have? Yes. And it is called procedural safeguards. So for any state that you are in, and I, I say this on my TikTok all the time, Ohio, Tennessee, whatever, type your state's name. And then after it, type procedural safeguards. And what it what that does is that is the state's interpretation of the federal act, the Individuals with Education, uh, Disabilities and Education Act, the IDEA. So it takes the idea and it kind of adds their own little spice to it or whatever. <laughs> now they can't, if you think about it, like this is a federal law. So if the federal government says that I have to stop at a stoplight, then I can't in, all of a sudden in Tennessee decide, well, we're not going to, we're only going <laughs> to stop override it. We're only going to stop it. Every, and our stoplights are going to be blue. You know, we can't decide <laughs> that we're going to change that. But they, uh, the, the idea does allow for the states to modify slightly, which is why I can operate in all 50 states because mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. the federal law and all I need to do, if I get a client in Oregon, I'm going to pull up the procedural safeguards for Oregon and I'm going to say, oh, okay, here's, I know which parts of the idea are different, but the, the parent does not need to know the federal part. They just need right. to know, okay, what is, uh, from the day that I suspect that my child may have a disability and I send an email, how much time do the do they have to get back to me? It's been 30 days and they may pull up California and realize, oh, okay, they got 30 more days because it's 60 days in California. If they come to North Carolina, oh, they got 60 more days because it's 90 days here. <laughs> so, you know, little things like that where um, I tell parents, sit with your drink of choice, your highlighter and your pen, if this summer is your homework, pull out your procedural safeguards. And it at any point in time that a parent brings up an issue about special education, a disability uh, that has not been brought up before, or the school brings it up to the parent, the school is required by law to provide the parent with those procedural safeguards. And they either will tell them, here is the link to it. We Now, back when I was, you know, my kid was, was younger, it was the piece of paper, you know, the documentation on paper, and um, I could decline it. But they, every single document that you will see for with an IEP or a 504 or um, the thought of, so this is pre the child getting it, has a box or a section where the parent has to sign that they have received that, and the school has to offer it. So the issue comes where. Um, if you are a parent and you're not in the know, for instance, uh, I am a parent with ADHD with an autistic kid. I don't listen all the time. <laughs> I'm looking out the window right now thinking, is it hot outside? You know, <laughs> so I may I may miss it, you know, um, or they told me it. What they used to tell me again, they were like it was like a big like 50. Some states are uh 20 some pages, some states are 150 pages. And so you're like, you have this 150 page document. You're like, I'm not going to sit and read all of this stuff. You know, mm -hmm. um, that's what I have Kim for. Cause I sit and read all this stuff, but 
they used to tell me, oh, you know, if you want to have uh, some some reading to put you to sleep, here it is, you know, and mm -hmm. oh, you should have enough of these to wallpaper your, your bedroom. And they kind of joke about it. But that is the most important document to read. And you can skip through it. I don't expect parents to read every little thing, but there's parts of it that don't apply to you at all. So if your kid's never been suspended, there's a whole, you know, 10 pages on that and you can skip over that part. But, it, and if your kid's already been evaluated, you can skip over that part. But I want parents to pull that out start skimming through it, look in the table of contents. Okay, IEP, let me read that, get that highlighter. Anytime it says number of days, highlight if it says 45 days. Okay, now I know it's 45 days. Ooh, is it days, business days, calendar days, classroom days? You know, um, some states will, for instance, if I decide, you know, Malia has been flunking out of everything and I thought it was her boyfriend, but she really probably has ADHD. So I'm gonna <laughs> I wanna have her assessed. <laughs> And it just happens to be in a state that does assessments uh, in 45 days. And so I've sent a letter and now I know that the clock is ticking and they're telling me, well, everybody's going to be gone over the summer and, you know, we'll, we'll revisit it in the fall. Uh oh, I'm looking at your procedural safeguards and it says calendar days. Guess what that means? That means you have to do it now. Now, if it said school days, then we do have to wait till the fall. So little things like that are um, where the idea kind of separates and gives gives things to the states. But if every single person could type in their state, type in procedural safeguards, um, you want to look a couple of times if, if they all have the year on them. So mm -hmm. you shouldn't see one more than five or six years old. So um, you know how the internet is. If you scroll down like two or three pages, you'll see one from like 1982 or whatever, but they all should be fairly current. And typically if you're going to pull one, you want to pull it from your uh, school, your, your school district's website. So if you type it or the, the state's uh, State Department of Education, so right. California DOE or whatever. And if that's the website, then you want to pull that up and either print it out or take a look at it. But you should have it. If you've got an IEP or you've had, you have a kid that's autistic and the school knows it, then they should have offered it to you. That seems like particularly messed up, doesn't it? And because I was just thinking about this as you were talking about that where it's like let's say you do have a parent like I'm a parent my child is like I suspect autistic and we have yet to do the assessment process but it's like it seems particularly ableist and gross to expect disabled parents because I myself am autistic and have ADHD and mm -hmm. OCD and any number of other things mm -hmm. and it's like you expect disabled people to be able to dig through 150 pages of incredibly detailed, incredibly nuanced, and, and that there are legal ramifications for these things. And then just to throw it at a disabled parent and be like, good luck. I hear <laughs> cat. Go ahead and read all this. Yeah, ADHD. Good luck with that. Yeah. Well, um, and this is another thing I want parents to know that the they are covered under the ADA in IEP meetings. Um, completely unrelated. You can also go to an IEP meeting under your FMLA if you can't get off work. But um, <laughs> so you guys got me at four o'clock. The, the five ants is gone, honey. She got me at nine. Um, but anyway, so, <laughs> but no, they, the IEP uh, invitation. So the every um, 
every state is different. Every district is different. Sometimes they all, and there's a, there are, I used to think there's only five, but there are, I can, there's endless numbers of um, software companies out there that are selling IEP programs to schools. Okay. So I used to think there was five, but there are several because I've seen way more. And these IEP programs, they all have to have certain things. So every IEP has to have present levels and goals and things like that. The invitation has to have things by law. And so one of the things, in addition to we parent has received a copy of the um, procedural safeguards is, do you need a translator? Do you need accommodations? And so if you have a parent, like we've got a high Spanish speaking population in California. And so I have quite a few clients whose native language is Spanish and they don't necessarily recognize, oh, guess what? You can have uh, a translator at the meeting provided by the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if you're autistic and ADHD, and if you're, if you're like me, and ADHD, I'm not looking at all these words. This is a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. on a piece of paper. And it's, and all I'm doing is looking at the date. Okay. I can make it. It's on June 24th. Um, but it's asking, do I need accommodations? I don't necessarily know what that is. Right. right? right. So it's, it really is a learning curve because, Sometimes they're not telling you because they don't want to. Sometimes they're not telling you because this is their 50th IEP that day and they didn't think about it. But the onus is on the parent to recognize, oh, this piece of paper says, do you need accommodations? That's not, do I need a wheelchair ramp? That might mean, do I need somebody to um, represent me at the meeting at your school's expense that's going to take and break this thing? I had a lady in Colorado who had brain injury. And her kid kept getting suspended and repeating grades and so on and so forth. And um, she would go to these IEP meetings and not understand what they're talking about. Oh, that, 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 this lady in California, um, born in Nicaragua, and her daughter is, again, that's the R word, where they still have that in California. Yeah. And they we uh, went to due process and got her daughter removed and into a private school and got the district to pay for it. And she didn't go the entire year last year because she didn't understand the paperwork. The mother did not understand the paperwork. So the daughter was at the regular school again for an entire year, missed the whole year of education and calls me afterwards, you know, and I lit into everybody because I was just like, this mother has, I think it's dyslexia. You know, she's a, she's a, you know, she was moved here and she's like, we came here on the boat and she she was just like, we became citizens, you know, so on and so forth. But um, she didn't understand. And so I called the attorney and I called the school district. The attorneys paid for, I guess it was the, one of those situations where they paid for it, but it was just one of those where they just kind of dropped the ball. And there were people that knew that this child is not supposed to be at the school and they just let her because it was, you know, everything was COVID and then California, I don't think they ever opened up. Maybe they did for the last couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's very frustrating because the idea also says, if I know, if I am a teacher and I am teaching Kim Kizito in class and I notice that Kim Kizito is not picking up anything and Kim Kizito might have a disability or whatever. Now I'm not a doctor as a teacher, but I mm-hmm. can refer her to, uh, to be tested for special education mm-hmm. as a teacher. If the principal notices, if the, you know, anybody that is a part of, they call the LEA, the local education agency. So anybody at the school, I like to joke that the janitor, but I don't think that that, would, <laughs> that could be. But those <laughs> people can refer that child for special education testing. 
And a lot of times that doesn't happen because they're waiting on the parent. But the law says that they can refer. Now, the law also says that uh, my mother has to sign off. And so my mom might say, no, there's nothing wrong with, you know, we have those kind of parents and there's nothing wrong with my child and everything's fine. She just needs a whatever. Um, That's a whole nother uh, denial, Mm -hmm. um, denial Mm -hmm. webinar, um, denial podcast next week on Law Teach. Um, But for real, (laughs) like, no, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so the parent, so I will say that all the time because a lot of times I get called in if I'm calling d- dyslexia is a hard one. So dyslexia isn't always turning your letters around. And so sometimes it's not really caught until around third grade. And a lot of these states have, you have to pass this reading test in order to pass third grade. And so that's when these kids are being found out and parents are frustrated because they knew something was going on, but, um, and then the teacher knew something was going on and there, the teacher's like, well, I couldn't say anything. Yes, you can, you can, you can't diagnose. So you don't want to go up to the parent and say, I think your child's dyslexic. You can say, look, you know, let's refer for special ed testing. I'm seeing some signs that they may need some help. And then it's still up to the parent to say, okay, I'm going to sign this piece of paper and have them, them tested. But, um, it's, it's amazing the burden that these schools want to place on the parent. I don't allow it. The burden, the blame, everything. No, (laughs) the burden, really the burden of proof is on the school in a lot of cases, but they know the the right wording, the right things to say so that the parent feels like they have to do everything. And this, this is not true. In what you do for these parents and these families, I think that it is clear to everyone who's listening that to say that you're an advocate and a strategist is not covering at all. Yeah. Like you do so much. I mean, yes, like so much advocating. I need a new title. Teaching. I should have a contest. Yeah. Like advocating, you're teaching, you're providing resources, you're steering them to resources. Like you are this family's cheerleader and holding both of everyone's hands throughout the process and keeping the staff or the whoever is on this team on their toes like no I you know I yes I'm calling you out on this and I'll call you out every single day for the rest of the school year like (laughs) bring it on (laughs) like I've got the district is gonna come good bring the district because I don't want to deal with the people on the school I mean I Oh, I'm afraid they're going to bring in the district. I want the district there because most of the time the district ends up agreeing with me because they know I know what the heck I'm talking about. Whereas I'm not going to sit and argue with the, you know, I'm not, no disrespect to principals, but sometimes they don't know. you got a whole school to, to uh, cover and you're not going to sit up there and argue with me and tell me I'm wrong because I'm not. I will sit there in an IEP meeting for five hours. I had a five-hour IEP meeting two weeks ago where I just sat there like this, listened to everybody. And every time they came back to me and I'm like, the law says this. The law says this. The law says this. <laughs> and finally, then they went around and voted. Well, do we think that this child needs uh, uh, to be evaluated for an IEP? Oh, everybody in the, the speech there. <laughs> Um, we think that the, the, we all vote that he, a 504 would be good. And then they get to me and I'm just like, the law says you can't vote. Sorry. We need to do an assessment. (laughs) Nobody in here. Well, we don't think there's anything wrong with this speech. Is there a speech therapist in the room? Bueller, Bueller. I mean, I was just like, is there a speech therapist? No. Okay, good. So nobody in here is qualified. And so what I want parents to understand is the school as a whole is 
one measure of assessment. So I'm not taking away from the principal, the special ed teacher, the uh, occupational therapist, all of those people that have that are sitting in the meeting and saying that my child, based on their opinions and based on what they see. So we oh Kim's grades are great. We don't need to do an assessment. Uh, she's autistic, but she'll be fine. You know, not that we don't have a million autistic adults out here that are brilliant, but can't get a job, you know, because nobody nobody uh, dealt with their um, other issues. And so that is one measure. And so I'll sit there in the meeting. I'm like, I am so you know, I don't want to take away from your professional opinion, but that is your professional opinion and yours and yours and yours and yours is one. And the idea calls for a variety. So, mom, do you think the child needs to be assessed? Yes. School says no. You say yes. That cancels them out. Guess what? We got another get some other other information. Oh, we're going to bring in grades. Okay, his grades are great. His grades are doing well. Well, his grades are appropriate because we require faith, free, appropriate public education. And I joke, if you want free, wonderful education, you better come up out of your wallet and pay a million dollars to school because we only, because the government only requires that their education be appropriate, honey. Um, so you may have a kid that's um, uh, dyslexic that is getting C's. Well, that's appropriate. But you know that that kid sits up there and answers all the Jeopardy questions every night. And you're just like, I, but I, I, his his dyslexia is affecting that he's 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 a, a visual or auditory learner because he's not reading the questions but he's hearing you know Alex Trebek rest in peace um, read the questions and he's getting so I know this kid is brilliant not that Jeopardy's like the the arbiter for brilliance or anything but <laughs> but you know that the kid's able to well we don't have to provide testing unless the the uh, the child's disability is affecting their their education well I'm I'm saying that it is. Well, we're saying that it isn't because he's getting C's and that's appropriate. Well, I know that he'd be getting A's. Okay, I'm not going to sit up here and listen to you guys go back and forth. Guess what? We have to. So we have two opinions canceling each other out. We need more. We need a variety. Okay, well, we pulled out his grades and his grades are are fine, are are C's. Oh, okay. Well, that's so we've got cancel each other out. and Then we have one that says maybe he's okay. That's still not a variety. Assess. So we're going to do an assessment. And the assessment may come back and say, hey, he really does not. But we're assessing everything. I don't want you to just do. And this is another thing I'll sit in these meetings and they'll I can tell. I just said this to a client last week. I'm like, I can tell you right now that that school psychologist is not going to find your child eligible for an IEP. She would not allow anyone else to do any assessment. Well, if I see that he needs occupational therapists, we'll bring occupational therapist therapy in. And, <laughs> and we ended up, the mother ended up calling and getting someone else on the case. And I was just adamant. I was like, we're going to be right back in here in two weeks with her with fighting for an independent educational evaluation. But um, they need to provide an assessment. And there's this big wave going on right now where schools are saying we don't need to assess. And the parents are sitting in those meetings saying they won't test. The law states that a school cannot delay or deny an assessment for a child with a suspected, put that in, in quotes yeah. and underline and, and italicize, suspected disability in favor of a response to intervention, a multi-MTSS, any sort of intervention program. So mm-hmm. it, it, the term that you'll hear a lot of times is, let's gather some more data. We don't have enough data. Malia broke up with that boyfriend and we just don't have enough data, you know? (laughs) And so we need to 
we need to put her in um, this tutoring program. And we'll, we'll see, you know, that's that's six weeks. And so, and so you know, the parents, so they, they call me and they're just like, well, they want to put them in this RTA. Oh, guess what? You can't. You can't. So you can say as a parent, that's awesome. I would love for Malia to be in this re response to intervention program. Or the, it's There's nothing officially recognized. So there's, there's one called SOS in Virginia, but RTI and MTSS and PBIS are the nationally recognized kind of intervention programs. You can do that, but you can also test her at the same time. And the law says you have to. And when I am dealing with parents that have called me, I'm like, does a child have a diagnosis? Okay, so it's not even suspected. The child has the diagnosis. We're not suspicious of anything. We have a diagnosis and they're failing to assess the child because in this meeting, we have this meeting of the minds that technically count as one mind saying that this child doesn't need to be tested. And we have well, to. Well, if anybody was wondering, you know. I'm passionate. If, <laughs> if ADHD was a superpower, I think you all just witnessed it while listening to all of this because um, I'm totally kidding. I hate that narrative. But at the same time, Kim, like, honestly, I think when hyper focus works in your favor. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that was beautiful. And so many parents are going to feel so much safer after hearing this, because yeah. you, as we know, you know, on TikTok, it's kind of hard with the 60 seconds, yeah. 15 seconds, you know, all that kind of stuff. But that's why I'm so glad we were able to have you on this to expand on this, because so many parents are so scared that like once they sign that paper, it's done, mm -hmm. you know, but like as as people were able to learn today that it's like you can mm -hmm. you can do this all day, every day. Mm -hmm. And you yep. should. If you next week. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's so empowering. And I just want to say that I, I deeply appreciate what you do, because as somebody who has sat through many, many, many IEP meetings and had many meetings with the district where, you know, I did the same stuff. It's like, it's one, nice to see a kindred spirit in the, in the passion about this stuff, but also to know that like, it doesn't always have to escalate to that point. If you know your resources out the gate and you can advocate as you go. And I think that you're providing parents with a lot of resources to do that. And what you're doing is really incredible. And you're, you're such a gift to like, so many people into our community. And I sincerely from the bottom of my heart, appreciate what you do. Oh, thank you. You are incredible. How can people find you, book you and get you on their team? I have um, my website is, and hopefully this will be written somewhere, but it's, it's kizitoandassociates.com, which is just ridiculous. I don't know what made me decide that people could spell <laughs> my name. Um, at some point, I'm going to change it, but it's kizitoandassociates.com, and there you can click on, on a, a work with me, book me, I can't remember, hire me, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Some tab that says something about me and then it pretty much pops my calendar up. And mm -hmm. I have a couple of different options and I always tell parents it's, it's um, uh, pick my brain, that's like a Q&A or whatever, or if you just wanna chat and that's, that's you know, I, I do charge for that because I, I end up being talking to you for like 45 minutes, so it's like $10, you know, and you just, <laughs> you have a question or whatever. And then um, I, and I, I'm pretty upfront with my prices too. So I will coach parents. And a lot of times I'll be talking to somebody like Kat, you know, and I can see that you know what you're doing. You do not need me to sit in that meeting, Kat. You just didn't understand how to do such and such. So I want all of your documentation 
and send me your paperwork, 150 bucks, give me a week, and mm -hmm. I will have a game plan for you to take into the meeting. And sometimes I'll, and then I'll say, okay, Kat, are you ready? I'm going to, I'm going to slay it. And, or eh, I'm not so sure. Okay. I will block off that time. And for a hundred bucks more, I'll sit in there and I'll do it for you. I'll do it with you. So when I go to the meeting, um, I do everything from coaching, uh, I, everything from that I get from the coaching. Plus I'm actually at the meeting. Right. And at that meeting is where I kind of, you know, I, I'm very animated here, but at the meeting, I'm just probably as the quietest <laughs> like <laughs> night and day. But I definitely will tell the parent, keep your phone open because, you know, after I've talked with them, I'm like, I'm going to tell you to stop talking at some point or to not do this or to say this, you know. Um, and it's just a we have a, a, a camaraderie, you know, mm -hmm. where I am. I feel like I do have something that I've kind of latched onto that I consider a gift that I can use to help other parents. So uh, Kizito and Associates, um, Kim at Kizito and Associates.com is my email and I answer. Thank you so much. Thank you for guys. Doing this. And also everybody who's listening, Kim will be, she is part of our webinar, the Teach webinar yes. series. And I believe your day is August 4th. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So you can find her and she'll be talking even more about IEPs and everything that we talked about here um, on the 4th. So sign up for that. You can find that on the website, awteach.com. Thank you again, Kim. This Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you had as much fun listening to this episode as we had making it. For more information and resources, please visit awteach.com. That's A-U-T-E-A-C-H.com and join our mailing list to stay in the loop about updates and events. We look forward to bringing you a new episode next week. Until then, this has been the Autistic Tea Party.